2: Undoubtedly, he's writing for his word to go beyond the borders of Israel. His intent was, I believe, to reach that Roman culture, to reach that Greek culture that he grew up in. And again, as I said, he was most likely born in Antioch, up in the area of Syria and living up in the area of what's now Turkey. It appears that Luke, more than any other of the gospel writers, makes mention of the world outside of Judaism. The people that lived and existed outside of Judaism. One of the most difficult
0: ideas for the nation of Israel to grasp during the time of Christ was the fact that he had come to include everyone, Jews and Gentiles. Jewish people could hardly fathom this. As Pastor David begins this study through the book of Luke, we'll learn that this gospel, above the rest, seems to focus on that fact. As we just heard from Pastor David, Luke mentions the world outside the nation of Israel more than any other of the writers. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, All an Intro to Luke.
2: It seems apparent that it was due to Luke's style that we have some of the most accurate details of those early years in the life of Jesus, in the early church in Jerusalem, and the birth of churches all across Asia, as well as the records of all of the missionary journeys of both Peter and Paul. Luke was the one that was responsible for giving us all of those details. It was later in his life. Apparently, he was living in the province of Troas. He has this encounter with the Apostle Paul, and then he joins Paul then in his second missionary journey. And we see this subtle inclusion of Luke to that missionary team, actually in the book of Acts. Now, we're gonna be in Luke this morning, so if you wanna turn to Luke, you can, but also I want you to keep going on over to your right to the book of Acts, and if you would, go to the book of Acts chapter 16. I wanna show you this little subtleness this morning. Again, as we said, Luke doesn't mention his name, but in his style of writing, his grammar is detailed to things. And, and as a matter of fact, historians and those who study these kinds of things say that Luke's writing, Luke's command of, of the Greek language as he writes is, is absolutely excellent, on par with any of the other historians of his time or of his age. In Acts chapter 16, down in verse 6, we read these words. Now when they, figure that word they, pay attention to that, okay. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. Definitely speaking as a third-person thing. They were doing that. Now we continue on. Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately, what does it say? We. The pronoun suddenly changed to first-person. We sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. That subtle change of pronouns from the third person plural of they and them to that first person plural of we and us, that really shows us right where Luke joined the team later on in Acts, we find the same format as Luke actually is left in the city of Philippi. Uh, there, there had been a riot there, and you, you probably know the story there in the book of Acts. And Paul and Silas were thrown in the jail there in Philippi. And of course, in the middle of the night, uh, the earthquake came and all the cells were loosed. And Paul and Silas were also able to lead the jailer to Christ and all of his household. Earlier, they had led Lydia and her household to Christ. And So because of all of these things that were going on within the city, Paul and Silas left the city, but they actually left Luke there in Philippi to continue to minister to this baby church, this new group of believers, probably very small at that time, but Paul left them there. And we find as we read the book of Acts that it's like four or five years later that Paul once again joins up with Luke. So Luke and those that were left with him remain in Philippi for about four or five years, ministering to that little core of believers. And then later, they join Paul again in Troas. And we read about that on in chapter 20. Now, although he came in to the ministry of the Apostle Paul a little bit late in that second journey, he didn't. we don't read of him at all earlier on in any way, One of the things we see about Luke is this loyalty, this this character that's demonstrated as he seems to be one of the only ones who remained with Paul to the very end of Paul's life. Take the opportunity now, keep going right, go to the book of 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing what we've spoken about in the past, his swan song, Paul's life is just about done. He realizes this. He writes once again to Timothy, this young pastor. And as he's writing to Timothy, particularly in this second writing, we see the heaviness and the weight that's on Paul in his end days. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, we read these words. As Paul writes to Timothy, he tells Timothy, "'Be diligent to come to me quickly.'" for Demas has forsaken me. Now, you've got to understand, Demas had been on Paul's missionary journeys with him. Demas had walked hand in hand, ministered with Paul. Now, Paul, at the end of his days, Demas has left, and Paul says that he's forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Demas's walk at the end of his journey kind of bowed out and walk backwards, I believe, away from the zeal that he had from the Lord. What a horrible situation to be in, to be so much on fire for the Lord in a portion of your life, and then in your later days to back off of that, to have someone to be able to say, you know what, he loves the present world more than he loves the Lord. So he's departed for Thessalonica, but he goes on to say, Christians, one of the other guys that went with him, he's gone to Galatia, and Titus, he's left, and he's gone to Dalmatia. But then in verse 11, we see the commitment of Luke. Paul tells Timothy, only Luke is with me. As Luke set out to write the gospel record, the, the gospel according to Luke, and as well as the follow-up historical book, The Acts of the Apostles, You need to understand that at one time these were connected as one work, two volumes of one work. And as we understand that, the Gospel account of Luke seems to be very, very intent to write a very accurate, detailed, and authoritative account of the birth of the life, of the ministry, of the teachings, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then in Acts, he gives us an excellent record of the events of the birth and the spread of Christianity. And both of these works were written, at least initially, as a testimony to someone by the name of Theophilus. Look with me. Now let's go back into Luke, if you would. Luke chapter 1. We see it in the opening passages here in Luke. In Luke chapter 1, we read these words. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you are instructed. It's interesting as he writes that, even in the book of Acts, we see some similar writings there in Acts chapter 1, the first couple of verses there, Luke writing again, he says in Acts 1 verse 1, the former account, speaking of the gospel record, All that we know about this one name, Theophilus, is given to us in those two points. That's all we know about him. Now we can make a lot of speculation about him because of some of the things, but understand it is going to be simply speculation at this point in time. We can speculate within the boundary of the Word of God. We can speculate because of the timing. We can speculate even because of the name. His name actually means the lover of God or one who loves God. But whether or not that's his actual name or simply a description, we can't really be certain on that other than the fact that when Luke addresses him as most excellent Theophilus, that kind of gives us a hint that it's probably his name. And as a matter of fact, that title, most excellent, that usually speaks of someone who is in authority. Because he has a Greek name, because he's probably someone in authority, there's a good chance that he's either a Roman officer or a Roman government official. Now again, speculation within the context of the scripture, it would allow us to believe that perhaps either as a high-ranking Roman soldier or a Roman official, that Luke could very well have come in contact with this Theophilus while he was with Paul, while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. He seems to be one who's either recently come to faith in Christ, or someone who's really earnestly desiring to understand the claims of Christianity. So Luke writes these accounts to him. Again, I think As we think of who Luke is and the process of it, yeah, initially both of these books were written, they were addressed to Theophilus, but the interesting thing is he never goes back and speaks of Theophilus again. He doesn't come to the end and say, and so Theophilus, that's my story, I'm sticking to it, Uh, and nothing else there. So I believe Luke had a much wider vision than just this one man, Theophilus. But as he writes to him, particularly here in verse 4, in the gospel account, we read that Luke says that he's writing this, that you may know the certainty. That you might know the certainty. I want you to know these things. Whether as a new believer or one who is seeking to understand the things of Christ, I want you to know for certain about these things. I want to tell you the truth. He goes, I want you to know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So somewhere along the line, Theophilus had been instructed within the gospel. Whether that was Luke and Paul in those days while Paul was imprisoned, or elsewhere, as again, he was instructed in the way of Christianity. Some believe that Theophilus was a new convert, uh, having already to some extent been instructed in the things of the Lord. His position is his newfound faith. Luke would have been writing to him what we call an apologetic of the faith. Now, you need to understand, an apologetic of the faith doesn't mean you're apologizing for Christianity. That's, that's, that's not what it's saying. An apologetic, again, is a verbal or a written defense for the truth and for the certainty of the gospel. Again, aiming to be able to present some rational basis for the Christian faith, defending the faith against all those that would come against it. Let's look again at that opening passage. He says, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the world had delivered them to us. So as Luke prepares to present this account of the life of Christ, He recognizes that some, actually probably many, have already endeavored to do just that. Others had wanted to tell the story, had wanted to write a a narrative of the life of Jesus. And we know that there were a lot of different writings that were available even during that time. Along with the other three gospel records, those that were canonized, those that we understand were accepted as Holy Scripture, there was no doubt a lot of other letters, a lot of other writings about the events surrounding the life and the ministry of Jesus. And some are included in some other books, and you look at them and you think, you know, there, there, there's books, writings about uh, the, the infant Jesus and about miracles that he performed. None of those things really have been canonized. None of those have really been accepted by the church as a whole. Some of these accounts were, were more trustworthy than others, yet only these four that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the ones that we have in our Bible. These are the ones that we accept as truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's been a lot of research trying to determine the, the exact date of the writings of each one of these gospel records. Prior to Luke's writing, it's, it's very certain that, that Mark's gospel had already been penned and perhaps even Matthew. It's believed that Mark's was the first and followed by Matthew. By by most research, those first two gospel accounts, they were dated somewhere around AD 55 or 60. That's about 20, 25, or 30 years after the time of Christ. These would have been written before Luke sits down to write out his account. And we believe that Luke wrote his account somewhere in the neighborhood of around AD 60 or 65, so anywhere from five to ten years after Mark and Matthew were written. And it's fairly recognized that John's Gospel record written last was probably written somewhere in the neighborhood of AD 65 to 70. So all of them within a relatively short time, because it was during the life of these men who actually were alive during the ministry of Christ. So with the writings of Mark and Matthew, which may or may not have been available for Luke in research, we really don't see much um, exactness in in Luke's stories, though Luke is part of what's called the synoptic gospels. You can take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can lay them side by side. You see a lot of the similar stories described differently as different writers wrote out the same account. But here, Luke not only has the possibility of Mark and Matthew, but he undoubtedly has several other writings of the times. But Luke desires, as he says here, to set in order his own narrative of those things that have been fulfilled among us. He's setting out to write of the life and the ministry of Christ. He's writing the greatest story that was ever told. Some of you might remember that movie. It was like way back in the 60s. Some of you weren't alive there. I I understand that, but uh, I was just a baby myself. But uh, a a huge, epic movie of the life of Christ. Major motion picture. It was about three hours long. It was huge. Do you know that most of it was filmed in the Southwest here? It was filmed in Arizona and New Mexico and Nevada and California. Uh, while they were filming even a portion of the book of John, they were doing it uh, in uh, Glen Canyon, and the Glen Canyon Dam project to build the dam up there actually was postponed until they finished the filming that was there. It was a huge film. Why? Because it is the greatest story ever told. And Luke, in the detail and all that he gives us, Is one that we can continue to go back to and see and research again the life of Christ. In the process of these things, Luke takes into account the testimony of eyewitnesses of the time. Most of the apostles were still alive at that time. He would have the opportunity to speak to these men who had walked and ministered with Christ for those three and a half years. As I said earlier, Mary, the mother of Jesus, may have been alive still at that time. She would have probably been in her late 70s or 80s. But to be able to go and speak to her about those events of those early chapters in Luke and all the detail that he gives us, it just seems logical that that probably came right from the mouth of Mary, if not from John. There were many who were still alive who had walked and talked with the Lord Jesus, who had sat under his teachings probably on multiple occasions that Luke could go and speak to and glean from them. And there was no doubt that there were those who had been healed, those who had been delivered by the ministry of Jesus, that were still living at that time that Luke could glean from their stories and the ministry that Christ did in their lives. All of these together would have been the ones who, as Luke writes here, from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word. They delivered them to us. And Luke went after their story. As we get into the writing, we understand that, that on the surface, again, it was written to one man. But we also see, as his writing goes on, that he has this much wider audience in mind very clear that his writing is directed to a Gentile reader and the ones who would not be familiar with the area of Judea. He writes, and he takes great effort to be able to explain, to be able to to make clear to the readers some of the following things. He writes that Capernaum is a city of Galilee. Chapter 4, verse 31, he says, Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching on the Sabbaths. Well, if you were local in that area, you would know. If you grew up in Casa Grande, you would know exactly where Eloy is, right? But if you're new here, you might have absolutely no clue where Eloy is. He's writing to somebody who's not familiar with the area. He writes and says in chapter 8, verse 26, Then Jesus and his disciples sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite of Galilee, Well, of course, everybody knows where the country of the Gadarenes is. It's right next to that eastern shore of Galilee. All of us that have lived here forever, we know that. Just like those of us that have been here for a long time know that Stanfield is about, you know, uh, eight miles to the west of us here. But if you're brand new here, you wouldn't know. He's writing to an audience that's not familiar with the area. He writes later in his gospel account in chapter 24, he says, Now behold, two of the disciples, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Well, if you've lived in this area, you know how far it is to uh, Arizona City. There's no doubt in your mind. I've been there many times. But if you're not familiar with this area, you don't know. He says seven miles from Jerusalem. All of these, again, they would be known to the Jew, and they would even be known to the Gentile that lived in that area. Luke is writing to a foreign audience. Undoubtedly, he's writing for his word to go beyond the borders of Israel. His intent was, I believe, to reach that Roman culture, to reach that Greek culture that he grew up in, and again, as I said, he was most likely born in Antioch, up in the area of Syria, and living up in the area of what's now Turkey. It appears that Luke, more than any other of the Gospel writers, makes mention of the world outside of Judaism, the people that lived and existed outside of Judaism.
0: Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are a grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande.
1: Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website.
0: Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.